Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. I'm Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, and welcome to After the Jump. I'm your host, Grace Bonney, and today we're coming to you live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. You can listen to After the Jump live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. on heritageradionetwork.org or download the podcast on iTunes anytime. Growing up, I was the sort of kid that was afraid to get dirty. I didn't want to mess up my clothes. I rarely raised my hand to join a conversation. And when it came time to do anything scary and risky, you could count me out. But toward the end of college, I realized that if I didn't throw myself into the big, exciting, and scary things in life, they weren't just going to come and get me. They were going to pass me by. And I would have to start taking that leap by myself. Cut to 10 years later, and I now consider myself someone who is mostly unafraid to run toward things that scare me rather than away from them. It took me a while to get here, but I am much happier learning from terrifying situations than watching them go by unexamined. So for today's show, I'm talking about how to let the things that scare you lead you to what you really want. And I'm joined by one of the bravest people I know, my wife and celebrated cookbook author, Julia Trishan. Thanks for being here, Julia. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. I'm a little <laughs> scared. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Run towards it. <laughs> so I think both of us are people who aren't afraid to speak up or take a risk when we see that the opportunity that lies on the other end is worth it. And even if it's not an easy choice, I think we both go for that. And today my goal is for each of us to break down and share that process that gets each of us through the toughest moments to help people learn how to turn their fears into strengths and to ask for what they really want out of life and work. So if we're talking about fear, I think we should both start by talking about the things that actually scare us. Because even though both of us are adults and have jobs and careers, there are still things that will terrify anybody. And I think even the most experienced and bravest business people still have things that scare them. So... I'll start first. The things that I'm still afraid of. And these are the things that I think are the biggest things to break apart. But for me, I'm still really scared of and defensive of having to speak in front of people that I think aren't my core audience or people who don't understand me. And I think I tend to immediately get into this position of feeling defensive as if I have to justify not myself, but the entire industry that I respect. And it makes me crazy. So that's something I'm still struggling with. What about you? Um, I guess on sort of the same note, the first thing I thought of is I feel like as I've gotten older, I'm less scared of my own voice and I feel more in touch with it. But I think I'm still pretty scared to raise it. And mm. I'm not. You mean I'm, literally? Like really? literally, like I'm not a very loud person. But also like if I if I'm in a position where I feel like there's something I want to say, I kind of say it internally and then figure out how to express it maybe at a later time as opposed to just coming out with it um, and standing up at certain points. So I think raising my voice is something I struggle with. You picked a good way to test it out on the radio where you get to, to talk <laughs> Just, quietly yeah. into a microphone. <laughs> um, so for anyone listening, I think the first thing to do if we're talking about how to turn fears into things that lead you where you want to be is to actually acknowledge those things. I think saying them on a radio show is a good way to start that. But I think the thing you have to do after you acknowledge what that fear actually is, is figure out what it really means and what does it all boil down to. So for me, if we're talking about 
being afraid to, t- to talk in front of people who aren't your core audience, I think it always comes down to this sense of like not being liked by everybody, which is, I want to say that I've let go of that after like 33 years, but it's still so hard to let go of the idea that some people won't understand you despite your best effort to explain why whatever you do is valid or important. And that's a hard thing to let go of. But what do you think for you raising your voice? I think I mean I guess it's similar in that if I raise my voice then everyone will be listening to me and sort of paying attention to me in a way that I mean I don't I think I'm someone who I don't dislike attention being paid to me if I'll be honest but in a certain way that maybe I feel more control over so I think it's sort of um, I think all the sort of typical things I think it's like letting go like letting other people you know be free to make their own opinions um I think it also can potentially, to me, I equate raising my voice often with it could potentially lead to confrontation, which is really what scares me. Um, Second only to snakes, (laughs) which Grace and I were really recently upstate and we saw a snake and I was terrified. So there's that. Don't run towards that one. That's the one fear not to run towards. Um, so aside from snakes, I think you, you really did get to a core issue right here. And I think that when most people unpack whatever that fear is, whether it's public speaking or taking that leap and like quitting your job and doing something like you have to actually figure out what the biggest risk is. And I think figuring out that big risk, you can't just figure it out in your head. I think the next step after you really kind of acknowledge whatever that fear is, is actually envisioning it and like really living in what that could be. So if for you, it's confrontation and then sitting in that feeling and like really soaking in it and imagining what confrontation will actually be like. Have you ever done that? Have you ever sat down and thought like, what would the worst version of a confrontation be? Yeah. Um, And I think the more I do that, honestly, as opposed to just feeling like, Oh, that scares me. I don't want to do it. Um, And more thinking about like, what would that conversation actually look like and feel like um, that helps me move towards that conversation more than anything and it also helps me move towards getting beyond the conversation to the thing that you know hopefully I want to you know happen so absolutely um I think that if you're envisioning something and then declaring it it's good to say it out loud it's good to write it down but I think it's also really important to actually share it with somebody else I think so often people are afraid to talk about the things they're actually really scared of at their core they're totally fine to share the things that are not like necessarily humble brags, but things that are not actual fears, but are just kind of like, oh, I'm scared that people will find out that I work in my pajamas. And it's like, that's not that's not an actual real fear. Maybe your fear is actually that like you won't have enough money to run your business or people that will find out that your company isn't as big as everybody thinks it is or something. And all those things are terrifying to admit. Yeah, I think of those as like nicknames for whatever the actual thing is. And so it's you're getting towards it, but you're not really getting into it. Exactly. So one of the things I always like to do, and I do this in in life, as you know, as well as work, is to actually talk out a worst case scenario. I find that 99.9% of the time, if you talk out to the very end what your worst case scenario actually is, it is rarely as bad as it actually feels inside. So if my worst fear is public speaking in front of a group of people who don't know who I am, don't care about my industry, and think it's all crap, what does that actually look like? If I give a talk, try my best, and it still just falls flat on its face. I find you have to actually walk out those steps of literally, I give the talk, I feel embarrassed, I have to walk out in front of a bunch of people, no one wants to say hello to me, shake a hand, say great job, none of that happens. Maybe the people who invited you are upset, and then I go home. And it's embarrassing. And maybe you have two days of just sitting in like 
total embarrassment of, oh, God, that talk did not go the way I wanted to. But at the end of the day, once you've talked that situation out, the world didn't end. I didn't lose my job. My friends are still my friends. I still have my health. All these things, they all still exist. I think so often a fear is so trapped in this like very sort of self overly self-aware place of like, if this one thing I do goes bad, everyone else will yeah, be changed. And potentially a sort of self-indulgent place too. It's like, I think fear can also like often make you feel like the world sort of revolves around you in this way that like everything will fall apart if this thing falls apart for me. And I think it's exactly what you said. Like the world still goes on. Like everything's fine. Like you just did something you were scared to do and that's wonderful. And that's a small part of life. And you know, it doesn't have to be this big thing. And I think when you avoid things, they just get bigger and bigger and bigger and almost like you can't face them. So I think it's trying to keep them as small as possible. Yeah. I think the best way to keep things small as possible is to actually just take baby steps towards whatever that fear is. Um, We both have examples I want to sort of break down to talk about examples of taking that risk and getting used to maybe something not working out entirely as well as you had hoped it would. I want to start with yours because that's way more entertaining than mine. So um, Julia has a great example of what it's like to take a risk, do something you're scared of, and have it not work out, but how you continue to exist just fine afterwards. Um, this When we were talking about the show yesterday, this was the first thing I thought of. Um, and I will give a shout out to my dear friend Julie Cohn, who I went to camp with, because <laughs> she will appreciate this. Um, the story is when I was a teenager, it was my last summer at my beloved Camp Pinecliffe, where I went for many years. Um, and the sort of end-all, be-all role you could have at Camp Pinecliffe was to be voted as a captain of the Color War team. And there were two teams, and Color War happened every summer, and tradition, tradition. Um, and I desperately wanted to be captain and I was so determined about that role that I thought there was no way I wouldn't be captain I just envisioned you know life at camp for those last two months just being the captain of this team and that meant so much to me and I am lucky to have been brought up in a home where I was sort of you know felt really empowered that like anything I set my mind to I could do and I really felt that way and and I set my mind to it and then no one called my name when they announced <laughs> the captains and I was devastated like embarrassingly devastated um but I think it's like one of the best things that ever happened to me because what I perceived to be failure at first ended up being just such a great lesson about just so many things one like why did I want to be captain just to have the title or like did I want to help sort of lead and support this community that meant a lot to me and like did I find other ways to do that absolutely and did I find other ways that like you know I could you know leave my mark or you know be involved and all that and so it's sort of all of a sudden it was like this opportunity arose out of me not getting that role for me to find other ways to participate that were equally as meaningful um, and to just get in touch with why I wanted that position in the first place. So even though I felt like, you know, the world, you know, the, the ground opened up under me and I was crying and, you know, all that, it's sort of, I think that's a great thing. And I think it's, it's an important experience to know that just because you don't, you know, quote unquote, win, it doesn't mean you can't still like put effort in and get something out of it and give something. Well, I think you discovered the the big thing that's at the bottom of every risk and whether or not you should take it is what's the actual reason you want to do it? Like for, for you, did you want to be in charge of the color wars just for the notoriety of it and the fame that came with that? Or did you actually just want to be a part of your camp and be involved with something that meant something to you? And for you losing 
even though you felt the pain and the sting of losing, like still ah, feel it. It's still- <laughs> <laughs> Afterwards, realizing that you still were happy to be involved, I think that's one of the biggest lessons you can learn from a fear or a risk not working out is what that actually meant to you. And I think not enough people evaluate that before taking the risk because if you're taking a risk or moving towards a fear and your only imagined outcome is so narrow that it's the best, you're number one, you win, everybody else loses, your chances of failure are much bigger. And if your definition of success is that you still get to be involved in or a part of or acknowledged with whatever this activity or thing is, the chances of you being happy with the outcome of that are much, much higher. Um, I think I'm going to give an example of something that I think only my parents probably know, and I think you know too. Um, when I was in college, until college, I was like a super geeky, straight-A student, very quiet, um, terrified to be in trouble, any of that sort of stuff. And then I went to NYU, didn't like it, transferred back to William & Mary, and NYU had aced everything, like laughed to myself, this school is so easy, like college is a breeze, and then got to William & Mary and took a course with the most notoriously difficult uh, religion professor ever, and then not only didn't do well, I just flat out flunked the class and got an F, and I'd never gotten like a B- minus in my entire life, and I got an F, and not only did I get the F, I got pulled into the teacher's office to explain why I had failed and how my essay was so terrible and was devastated and called my mom and thought, like, they're going to hate me. I'm being disowned as a child. And my parents had the best reaction to my massive failure ever, which was my mom just paused and was like, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm fine. And then she was like, okay, well, what do you do from here? And I said, well, I've got to talk to my counselor. Like, I'm not sure how this affects my GPA. And she's like, all right, I want you to go, like, make an appointment with your counselor, sit down, and then give me a call when you get back. And I did that. I was going to be fine. I was still going to pass. Everything was great. I called my mom, and I said, I'm still going to pass. It's going to be fine. I can keep going on to my junior year. And she was like, okay, well, did you learn your lesson? And I was like, yeah. And then she was like, well, what was the lesson? And I said, well, I don't know. I tried really hard. I don't, I don't understand why I failed. And she was like, well, you're not always going to be first, and you're not always going to be best. And she was like, sometimes your best isn't going to be what wins, and that's okay. And she was like, I don't want you to keep getting Fs and everything, but life will go on after this bad grade. And I think that was incredibly important for me to realize that like, the result of any challenge, if your only aim is to be number one, like you're pretty much always going to fail. It's no, never going to work. If you build yourself up, on such a high pedestal and it's like you have a long way to fall down and so it, it can be good to fall and you know that you know you're okay on the ground too so absolutely um i want to talk a little bit about the practical side of this of how we actually push through things um like what's that first step that gets you forward um i think for me whenever you take a risk or move towards a fear you're actually taking a huge set of skills with you that you have to first acknowledge and own up to before you take that fear. I think everybody thinks, oh God, I'm jumping into this thing I've never done, whether it's like, I'm going to start a product line or I'm going to take a new job. You're not jumping into it without anything you can bring with you that will be helpful. And if you are, then maybe that's not a risk to take. But you have to really own up to the things that you have. And you have a wonderful example of one of the first jobs you had out of college that I think is a good explanation of this. Yeah, I got... um I was able to go to Spain with this group that was making a PBS show about Spain. Um, and it was about food and culture in Spain. And I was brought on to um, be an assistant to the guy who was going to write the book for the show. Um, and when I was sort of invited to do this and essentially offered the job, I mean, there, I, I didn't even hesitate to say yes to that. But it was so scary to me because it meant going far away from anywhere anyone I knew um it was really my like first legit job out of college um and so there was just so much unknown 
And I was so, I don't think I even realized how scared I was. And I'm happy I didn't because I think maybe that would have kept me back and the whole experience and for my whole career. But it wasn't until really after that trip that I realized like, no, there was like good reason for me to be there. And it wasn't just like luck or anything like that. And I had, you know, all sorts of skills that made me the right person for that job. And I think when you describe it as jumping in, I think that's really accurate because I think it's the kind of thing where it's like if you're at a body of water of like freezing cold water, but you just want to get in there, it's like you wouldn't jump if you didn't know how to swim. Like even though it's scary, you still like, you know, you're going to be okay. Like it'll be a little cold, but like you'll get through it. So I think it's, you know, doing things like just just getting in there, but also doing it with like enough information that you know you're not going to sink. So. Mm -hmm. And that leads us into rejection therapy, which I want to get into after our break. So stay tuned. I'll be right back with Julia Tertian, and we're going to break down turning fear into confidence. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Seeing a need to help people sort through all the misinformation about healthy eating, Whole Foods Market added a seventh core value to promote the health of our stakeholders through healthy eating education. In our stores, we give you the tools you need for choosing the most nutritious foods and healthy recipes, as well as offering classes with nutritionists and cooking coaches to help inspire good health and well-being. Stop by your local store today and learn more about our Health Starts Here program and wellness clubs or online at wholefoodsmarket.com slash healthstartshere. And welcome back to After the Jump. I'm your host, Grace Bonney, and today we're talking about turning fear into confidence with cookbook author and my wife, Julia Tertian. Before the break, we were talking about fear, understanding it, how to really work through those feelings of wanting to run away from something and how you actually do that. And before we took a break, we were talking about the idea of sort of rejection therapy and how you get used to this idea of that shock. And I love the sort of metaphor you made about jumping into a freezing lake. It's, it's terrifying. There's going to be a shock. You know it's not going to be fun, but you know you know how to swim. So it's not going to be as bad as you think that it is. And for me, that sort of gets at the core of what rejection therapy is, which I've talked about ad nauseum on this show for anyone listening. But in case you're not familiar with it, it's sort of this school of thought that trains people how to get used to the idea of hearing no or not getting exactly what they want. And the basic premise is that for a couple weeks, you essentially just have to ask people for things you know they're going to say no to. And they can be ridiculous. They can be like, Walk up to a random person and ask for $50. You know that they're going to say no. And the whole you never know. It's true. And sometimes <laughs> it works out. And I know Amy Azarito, who I work with, did that and asked for Tuesday discounts on Wednesdays and like weird things like that. And sometimes they work out. And the whole premise is that you need to get used to the idea of hearing no or hearing that something isn't going to work out the way you want to because the more that it happens the less scary it becomes. And so I think that when it becomes an idea of how do I approach actually doing this thing that's scary, you have to accept that you're going to hear no sometimes. But one of those times, you won't hear no. And this is all about how to get to that time. So I want to really break down the idea of getting in touch with what you really want and what that looks like for you and what it means. So if you're doing something scary, chances are the thing behind that thing that's terrifying is what you actually want. And you might have to do something scary to get there. So the first thing you have to do is figure out what you really want. I have a trusted method 
called vision boarding that I fully believe in um, and that basically involves spending a few hours with a stack of magazines, cutting things out and not thinking about them and then just pulling things that mean something to you. You might find yourself pulling out quotes from a magazine. You might pull out beautiful pictures or textures or colors. And then you combine all of these things onto a board, like literally cut and paste them onto a board. And I've found it is the best way to get in touch with kind of what you subconsciously actually want in your life. And I forced Julia to do one on vacation. And how did, how did that go for you? I loved it. And I totally agree about, I've always practiced sort of visualizing things as, as a tool. And I think just really literally doing that with the vision board was really great. And for me, it goes back to, I, I think it's sort of like a common thing a lot of people do, but the person who really um, clarified that for me was I went to a, um, a talk with this therapist named Phil um, Stutz, who with another therapist, Barry Michaels wrote a book called the tools, which are literally tools to sort of get through things. And it was kind of all about this and it was sort of about like visualizing what you're scared of, how to get through that, and also what you touched on right at the beginning, which is so important, is that fear and desire are, like, very closely aligned. And, like, the only reason to go through all the effort of, like, going through something that you're scared of, which is, like, not usually all that enjoyable, is because on the other side of that, there's something that you really want. So it's sort of figuring out where those two collide and, you know, why it's worth it and everything. And so I think just getting in touch with what you want in the first place or what means, you know, whatever means something to you. I think the vision board's great because I think it allows you to do it in a way that, like, you don't even realize is happening. And I think that's wonderful. And I think getting in touch with your sort of subconscious and stuff is great. I think that's huge because... I mean, it's, it's your subconscious. It's not something that's bubbling up to the top all the time, like screaming at us, this is the thing you want. And it's not screaming at you because fear is totally blocking it down. And all the things that maybe would bring you deeper satisfaction in your work or in your life are hidden behind all the things we tell ourselves we can't do, we're not capable of doing, or we're not qualified to do. And chances are, if you work at them a little bit, you're completely capable and qualified to do these things. So I think a vision board is good for that. But I think in general, declaring what you really want, what you truly want to just one other human being is a huge step. And I've found there are a lot of really great blogs where people actually just decide, I don't feel comfortable enough telling somebody in my real life this. I'm going to tell everyone on the internet this. And it seems like an odd choice, but they've been wonderful. I think um, there's a great blog uh, that Gretchen Rubin runs called The Happiness Project, which has turned into a huge best-selling um, book. But I think The Happiness Project was a great example of Gretchen decided, like, I'm unhappy in my life. I don't like how things are going, and I want to figure out what makes other people happy so I can in turn figure out what makes me happy and what doesn't work. And she kept track of these things every single day on her blog. And this was before her blog was a huge big thing and then turned into a book. And it was this really great way to sort of document moments of happiness and unhappiness so she could look at them and say, like, these are feelings I had. I cannot run away from them. And there's a clear thread in here of what I really want that's missing from my life. I think um, we were just in San Francisco and on the plane coming back, Delta on their little screens, one of the options you can pick are TED Talks. And I was watching a few of them. And one is sticking in my mind, which was David Brooks spoke about the difference between your resume and your eulogy. And I think having skills that you sort of broadcast just kind of get further and like, you know, a, like commercial success kind of that thing. And then what you want people to write about you sort of when your life is at, you know, its completion. And I think understanding the difference between those things and also seeing where those things can combine is really powerful. And so that was helpful to me recently. That's what I was watching a chick flick while you were watching that. <laughs> I'm glad you chose the smart option. 
Um, one of the things I think to think about (laughs) (laughs) that's important to think about, um, in terms of actually pushing through the things that are scary is thinking about the weight and the consequence of not choosing that choice Mm. to think about the weight and the cost. Cause there is a weight and a cost to not taking a risk. Like what happens if you do stay exactly where you are, if you choose to not participate in something that's just as important as the risk that goes on the other side. And I think people only think about the risk on the other end of the scary thing, but can be just scary to look back and realize all the things you didn't do because you were scared of them. And I mean, I can look back over the the energy that takes out of you just to be that scared. Exactly. It drains just as much energy to sit there and overthink and rethink and then hem and haw and then not do something as it does to just actually throw yourself in and give it a shot. Um, And I think that's a really important thing to think about. And when you decide to take the step to move forward, I think you can't do it without visualizing the consequences, but you also can't do it without visualizing yourself actually doing it successfully. And I think that the best thing to do in order to get to your place of accepting that and seeing it is to celebrate small successes on the road to doing things. I think a lot of times people say like, I can't see myself getting from point A to point D because it might be a huge leap. But if you imagine yourself doing all the small steps in between, it's a great visualization tool to get yourself there. So for example, if you're a product designer and you really love to see your products on the shelves at Target, imagining that leap is massive and overwhelming. But to actually sit there and say, okay, what are the actual steps that get me to that? First, you've got to have a prototype. Then you've got to have somebody work on taking photographs of that. Then you've got to come up with marketing materials. Then you have to figure out what contacts you have to get that meeting. There are so many things in between that if you don't celebrate and envision all those small steps as equally valid achievements, you're never going to get somewhere because it feels so, so overwhelming. Um, A good example of that, at least in my life, and also related to product lines, is I think I've spent the last five years just thinking like, oh, wouldn't it be cool to be able to work with brands and do something where we developed a product, but I couldn't quite figure out how to do that. And I thought, well, I'm not an actual designer, but I know how I would like things to work, but I don't have any of the actual like AutoCAD skills to design these things. So I just let it sit on the back, not even on the back of the shelf. It was like buried somewhere underground and then had a moment where I thought, no one's ever going to come to me. No one's just going to say, hey, Grace, we really want you to come up with this thing, especially because you're not a designer. <laughs> like, come come to us and do this. And it's never going to happen. And I thought years and years of this are just going to go past. And if I don't actually sit up and make it happen, and maybe every single one of them will say no, it's just not going to be something I ever look back on. I don't want to wonder what if. So I decided to take small steps. And I literally mapped out, like, what do I have to do to get something in a store? What are all the steps I have to go through? So I said small little goals. I'm going to talk to the people who I know I'd want to hire to be designers. I'm going to map this stuff out. I'm going to make inspiration boards, all the things that get you to the final product. And then I worked myself up to actually just cold emailing people. Not everybody said yes, but a huge chunk of them did say yes. And now we're working on things that I never, ever imagined us doing that are so exciting and so fun. And I'm sure I'm going to make a million mistakes on the way to the final product. But I think accepting that those small steps along the way were all victories is a huge part of that. Because if I never get a store or never, never get a product actually in a store, the whole pursuit will not have been a failure. I will have learned so many different skills in the process. I will have learned how to work with designers in a way I've never worked with them before. And I will have learned how to work on a pitch and getting these things done that maybe will pay off years down the road. But they're all incredibly valuable steps. Um, 
I would love to hear an example from you, Julia, of something where you did ask for what you wanted for, and then it actually worked out. That's how I got married. (laughs) (laughs) I just uh, wrote Grace an email, and I figured I had nothing to lose, and and that's how that happens. So (laughs) I'm a big fan of, like, just put it out there, the worst that can happen is someone will say no, and just going back to your rejection therapy sort of theme, I think you know, understanding that no isn't like the world doesn't end and things will go on. And, um, but I really value living a life where I don't have any sort of unanswered questions. And that feels really important to me. And just being able to continually explore all sorts of different like work opportunities or, you know, personal ones, or, you know, it just, it pays off to ask. And Absolutely. I think if there's a theme of today, it's really about taking sort of the strength and the courage to actually ask and then having goals that are exciting and scary, but then also breaking them down into smaller steps. I want to end with another example um, of a massive failure on my part that was a really valuable learning experience. Um, One of my biggest fears has always been public speaking and, and still is, but I'm getting better at throwing myself into it. And I was invited to give a speech at the Industrial Design Society of America in Portland, and it was years ago, and I thought, this is great. I've never been invited to do this. This is a group I really respect um, and said yes and was so excited. I'd never made a group, a speech that large before. And then I realized very quickly that the reason I was intimidated by this group was because they were different than I am. And there's a big difference between industrial designers and DIY bloggers. And it's a very different community. And I worked really hard. I ignored everybody's advice to just be myself and make a speech that was about me. And I spent so much time trying to basically convince everyone listening that I was a valid person to be up there speaking and I had to speak for two hours and I'm pretty sure was crazy. an hour and 40 minutes of that was just utter blibberish um, and I think that was because I just I wouldn't let myself just be me and it was embarrassing I felt terrible for like a good four days afterwards and just didn't want to like come out of my room but then I talked to somebody who'd been there we talked it through we figured out what I did wrong and I learned really valuable lessons from it and that's something I carry with me today and that idea of staying true to who you are and just owning and representing the skills you currently have is totally okay and then you carry those things into your next experience and then the next time I make a public speech hopefully it won't be as big of a disaster and you'll learn from it every time and I think If you just keep trying and you just keep doing these things, they become a little bit less scary every single time. And you get closer to the idea of what that end goal might be that's huge and terrifying, but also very, very exciting. Um, I want to leave us with a quote from uh, Eleanor Roosevelt, as Julia would say. Um, (laughs) I pronounce a few things, oddly. (laughs) Which is just a really good thought to end on. Eleanor said, you gain strength, courage, and confidence by every experience in which you really stop to look fear in the face. You must do the thing which you think you cannot do. And I think if you set your goal, it's just no really isn't an option. You have to keep trying these things even in baby, baby steps. It's a good way to get towards what you want to be. Because no one basically can overcome fear overnight. All of these steps and all these processes, they're a little by little thing that teaches you to not just face the things that you're afraid of, but to slowly trust more and more in yourself, your talents, and your worth. And I really hope that this show will inspire those of you listening to reach a little bit further and go a little bit more outside of your comfort zone, because those new undiscovered places are where the best things live, and they're where you and your business can discover their true potential. So thanks so much for listening. Thanks for being here, Julia. It's my pleasure. And we'll see you next Thursday. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. 
You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 non-profit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.